0: The Women Changing the World Podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you, some of the most amazing women I know, who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight-up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real-life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be talking to Eliza Erskine, founder of Green Buoy Consulting. We're covering everything from why introverts can be consultants and build businesses too, to what authentic business development looks and feels like, and why you may want to take a look at the B Corp certification assessment for your organization, whether you plan to get certified or not. Eliza is seriously brimming with ESG strategy wisdom uh, and has so many juicy nuggets on her experience of starting a business and I just know you're going to enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Welcome to a new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I'm so excited to be sitting down today with Eliza Erskine, who is the founder of Green Buoy Consulting. We have so much good stuff to talk about today. Welcome to the podcast, Eliza. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. Yay! Um, Well, I feel like before we jump into all the things, um, would you be willing to briefly introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Sure. I am Eliza Erskine. I am the founder of Green Buoy Consulting, and we provide sustainability strategy and B Corp certification to high growth businesses, mostly in the service-based sector.
0: So cool. Um, well, thank you so much for that brief intro. And for anyone listening who's like, what the heck is the service-based sector? <laughs> How would you describe it? Uh, well, that's
1: something that I'm workshopping. So I'm open to feedback. Um, a lot of my the businesses I work with are like B2B service-based companies. Mm-hmm. So software companies, asset managers, most of my clients don't make anything tangible um, but they're selling services to other businesses.
0: Gotcha, awesome. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a fun brain puzzle, <laughs> like, you know. Right. I mean, yeah, it's like how how best to categorize like these businesses that are enabling other businesses to do business. <laughs> maybe maybe B two B service sector
1: industry because I say high growth companies. I'm not sure, but yes, open to feedback on this, on the service
0: angle. (laughs) I love it. Well, I think the work you've been doing with Green Buoy is so cool. Actually, maybe before we get into anything else, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the company and what inspired you to found it? Sure. So I think I came
1: to consulting through kind of a unique route. I studied business in undergrad and became interested in corporate responsibility that was what it was we called it corporate social responsibility back in the 2000s and (laughs) right there's so many different kind of monikers now um and I worked in responsible investment for a while and then the research side of ESG investing and then I did the Harvard Extension School's master's program in sustainability and during that program I became really interested in companies that were non-unilever size non-walmart size like who is doing sustainability for smaller companies for local companies kind of thinking about sustainability for companies that w- maybe weren't ready for a big sustainability report or weren't you know ready to be gri compliant so i created a consulting business as a school project focused on helping startups review their business plan to embed sustainability and helping small businesses with kind of non-GRI sustainability. That's what I called it. And then when I finished school, I was just like, oh, I have this, I have all this time. Let me try and see if I can start this consulting thing for real. And that was how it that was kind of how it started.
0: Oh wow, that is so cool. I don't think I knew that this was initially oh, yeah. a school project.
1: Yes. Yeah. So I think a lot of other consultants I talk about were in like were consulting for a big company and then moved out on their own or got to a place where they, you know, had kids and then wanted to be more flexible or that kind of stuff. So
0: yeah, I think it's pretty unique to be have it be a school-based project-based thing. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, and so what has the the ride or the journey looked like since school? Oh, um, it's been interesting. I think I the thing I always like
1: to talk about with my journey and how I approach consulting is that I literally had no idea kind of what it would entail. I was just very much like, oh, businesses need help with sustainability. And I didn't realize that I would have to sell my services to these (laughs) businesses or that I would need to be having conversations about like, this is what ESG means. And this is what strategy means and have a kind of practice and ethos and way of doing business. So it was definitely a an initial kind of steep learning curve of building a network and figuring out what work looked like i think one thing i made a mistake on early on as i would talk to businesses and they we would kind of go back and forth and they would say well like what can you do for us and i would say what do you need And they would say, we don't know what we need. That's why we're hiring a consultant. (laughs) So just like little stuff like that, that I am not somebody who's comfortable with the kind of trial and error life. And so much of this has just been kind of testing different things and talking to a lot of people and feeling uncomfortable in a lot of different situations in order to kind of figure out what to do and how to grow and iterate and figure out, figure out different stuff. But I will say, and I'm curious if this is what you've seen, and this is, I mean, sort of true in your practice too, just this sort of explosion in interest in ESG and sustainability, probably since like COVID, late 2020, now 2021. It's just been a whole new kind of market of, I don't have to explain what ESG is, and people companies are now in a place of like, okay, we know we need to start an ESG strategy. And we're talking to consultants to do that instead of mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm curious about sustainability.
0: Totally, totally. I mean, I, I definitely feels like there was a kind of like a dip in companies seeking this kind of support um, mm-hmm. in like 2020, maybe into 2021. But then the past year, it's just been like, it's felt like a sea change in terms of interest in this. Um, And I love what you said about (laughs) like maybe not fully foreseeing like all the pieces that would go into like consulting, because I feel like the two things that came up for me when you were sharing that are one, I think the number one reason that women I talk to who like want to be entrepreneurs or, and want or want to be independent consultants, like, the number one thing I, I often hear stopping people from doing that is fear around doing business development or like a, like just yes. zero interest or desire in doing business development. Um, and I think the thing that I've been the most surprised by in my own entrepreneurial journey over the past few years is like, I think for so many people, myself very much included, like we become entrepreneurs or like we become Coaches and consultants, because we want to do the work, not necessarily because we're like wanting to run a business. Um, but yes. in order to do the work, there is such a learning curve of all the things about running a business that maybe you did not foresee going into it.
1: Yes, I completely agree. And so much of the kind of running the business part, I I really like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, business development is not something that I like. For me, it was just the kind of need. To help companies in the interest in helping them on most days that outweighed any fear of reaching out or fear of talking to people and made that more of a, more of a reality. But it is, I mean, it is a lot of extra work and a lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff that you just don't really think about, like how to figure out how much time you have available and how long a product will take. And how long a sales cycle will be and all these different things that are just kind of trial by fire and learning different ways of doing things.
0: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm like, as you said, those, I'm like, do you have any like secret, like tips that you're willing to share on any of those things? (laughs) Like trying to figure out how much time you have available, I think is like, is such an art. Yeah. I think the time available
1: thing is really, it's like, the uncoolest answer, which is like, you have to track your time and you just have (laughs) to make it a habit. Like there's no sort of secret, secret sauce. I will say from a business development perspective, again, not super helpful, but like you really just need to practice. Like you just need to have those calls where you fall on your face and you're just like, oh, now I know how to answer this question. Or, oh, now I know how to do this. And doing business development in a way that feels comfortable for you and for me when I say that it's literally like what am I least comfortable with because I'm not comfortable with any of it it's just figuring out like is it writing is it doing a podcast like what are those other activities that you're at least you're focusing more on those instead of like like if you look and you're like I'm never gonna send a cold email like you're never gonna be excited about it and I think the person on the other end can tell
0: Oh, totally. Whereas doing
1: a podcast or do, you know, some like different communities or different stuff like that, people can see, I think, where you're interested in and then they'll want to engage.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that you're someone who's really passionate about this idea that like introverts can build, build businesses too. Um, and so yeah. one, like I'm guessing you're an introvert because you've said that before. <laughs> Is that
1: true? Oh, yes. Yeah. I I am an introvert. I always have been. Um, And I mean, even when I told, like, I remember telling, like, my parents' friends that I was starting a business, and they were like, but you're an introvert. Like, they were just like, how does that work when you're an introvert? Or that was just, like, shocking to them that I would talk to people, I guess, for work and enjoy (laughs) it. Um, But yeah, I think the business development is hard as an as an introvert, just because, you know, I don't get energy from having endless conversations with people. But I think from a client side, it's really, really helpful to just have that kind of extra level of like, being aware of who's in the room and being able to listen without needing to speak first. And these other angles of kind of being on the quieter side, lets you understand the client in a different way, and then feeding that back to them. I think in a way that is surprising to them sometimes.
0: Mm, Yeah, because you're really listening.
1: Yeah, I think it, it ends up working out. I think it's, especially, you know, with other people I talk to or women I talk to, that seems like, well, you have to be like one type of person to start a business or you have to have these different traits to start a business. And I really don't think that that's true. Because there's so many different types of businesses and so many different types of clients and especially from a consulting angle, like if you only need, you know, 10 or 20 clients and there are 6 billion people in the world, mm-hmm. like you can, you can find 10 people. So those kinds of thoughts bring me a lot of comfort. <laughs>
0: Yeah, totally. I love that. When it's like, how can you like find 10 people or let 10 people find you and then make sure they have like the best experience ever (laughs) working with you? Um, Because having just that handful of raving fans goes, I think, such a long way if you're feeling like daunted by finding clients or business development in a new business.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if that's an introvert thing to be sort of like, depth instead of breadth but I would rather have like 15 contacts that I like really really trust and can talk to consistently and those are my business development channels instead of like 100 people that I just meet once and I'm like well they'll refer me
0: yeah I don't I mean I'm an extrovert and I would say I would rather have the 10 or 15 people personally as well so I don't know if that I don't know if that's an introvert extrovert thing or just a personality <laughs> thing. <laughs> or just a smart thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Well, what would you say has been the single biggest driver of success in your business um, since you started Green Buoy? And I guess actually before you answer that question. For anyone who's like wondering what all you do at Green Buoy, I don't know if you've told us like the full suite of things that you offer. So maybe let's talk about that first.
1: Yeah, so I offer sustainability strategy. That's one of my kind of pillars. Um, And usually that means working with a client that has no sustainability strategy that's cohesive. So they might be doing a couple of different kind of initiatives. But they don't, they're not either connecting them to their values or their business purpose. And they're trying to figure out really how to unlock the value of that strategy. So I'm helping them implement that. Um, Another area of business is B Corp certification. So I help companies go through the B Corp certification process, helping them do the assessment, figure out where to focus and how to tie their business activities into the assessment and vice versa. So a lot of the companies that are seeking B Corp certification have the values that align. Again, they're kind of doing a lot of those activities, but they want to formalize it specifically into the B Corp certification. And then a kind of newer function area of mine is helping newly public companies or public companies that have a pretty broad strategy but need help in one specific area like greenhouse gas accounting or setting environmental goals or figuring out one specific area within the kind of ESG. Um, So those are the kind of, those are the main areas that I focus on and work with companies in. and usually, I mean, a lot of my engagements are like at least three months, some are six, some are 12, which I really like being able to cultivate that deeper relationship with a client and more long-term. It's only me that works in my practice. So I feel myself as an extra teammate, an extra person of support where I'm fitting into a client's business practice and the way that they're operating instead of saying, well, here's kind of my system and mm-hmm. we need to do, we need to do things this way, um, which I think clients value, especially just in the kind of big world of consulting, you always think of like a big firm that just kind of tells you what to do and doesn't actually help you do it. Like I'm very focused on helping them implement and make sure that those things are happening.
0: Totally. And I feel like having been in-house too, I feel it's so refreshing when you're able to bring in a consultant or outside help that can like actually be an extra set of hands or like actually just jump in and do stuff really efficiently, as opposed to having like a million layers of work (laughs) that go into something where you're like, if I just had an hour, I could get this done in an hour, but I don't. Right. Yes. And that is also the benefit of the size of
1: client that I work with. Um, The majority of them are less than 2000 employees. So, and I have clients that are as small as 50, 20 people. So for them, an extra set of hands, you know, 10, 20 hours a month can really move the needle for them in a significant way compared to a bigger, a bigger company.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, now I do want to come back to that question, um, which I'm curious. like you know when you think about like what has made this successful over the past few years, like what would you say are some of the biggest things or the biggest thing that have contributed to that? Um, I think part of it
1: is just building a network. like i didn't I didn't know any small business owners. like I when I graduated, I was like, I'm trying to talk to businesses and figure out kind of what they need um so i think just building a network mostly honestly of other consultants that are serving my niche too like that have that high growth business smaller company um and even other esg consultants that are in that um in that sector because i think so Some companies really do want somebody that is sort of a jack of all trades and can do a lot of different things. And some companies are only looking for something really specific. So like if I know somebody that is an ESG investing expert or somebody that can help you if you're thinking about IPOing and how to think about ESG from that way, like having those kind of contacts that you can refer and then can refer you, I think is really um, it's really helpful and kind of beneficial in a lot of ways, especially as the market is just growing. I mean, I can only take on so many clients. So having, you know, five other people that I know that I can be like, you should go to this person for this or this group for this or having those relationships and connections, I think has really made a big a big difference.
0: But it was definitely
1: work in and of itself to kind of build to build those relationships
0: mm-hmm. totally well, and how did you go about doing that I know you mentioned a couple times now like that that was really a focus of like you were like I didn't know small business owners. I'm guessing you didn't necessarily know all the independent consultants so um no how did you go about meeting people connecting building like genuine relationships with people in this space I
1: use LinkedIn a lot. I mean, there were definitely people that I just kind of cold DM'd and was like, Hi, I'm interested in talking to you about this specific thing. Maybe we can talk about like XYZ. Here's why. Do you have, you know, 25 minutes? Um, and so that is one angle. And some of that is pretty hit or miss. Like, it's at first I was kind of taking things personally if somebody didn't write back. And then it was just kind of about making the initial connection and being, I think, really upfront with like, like someone that I saw who had a lot of experience, like in venture capital, being able to say, I want to talk about like ESG and venture capital and what you're seeing. Here's what I'm seeing. You know, do you have 25 minutes to talk about this instead of like, can I pick your brain? So just being Mm -hmm. pretty deliberate. And specific. And there's some people that I, other consultants that I look at where I'm like, okay, I might not want to talk to them right now, but I'll file them away like in six months. So I think just kind of constantly searching for that. And now, I mean, it's been really interesting just to see the kind of prevalence of different community groups and Slack groups and all of these different ways that people are just talking about work or engaging around different topics. So I'm in some groups that are consultant specific. So that is a way to talk to other consultants. And a lot of that relationship building is not, oh well, which which clients do you know and how can we kind of swap? It's more, I'm having this problem with a client. Have you faced this before? And can we talk about it? So building relationships based on those, things as well instead of just a kind of like client for client swap it also helps me build my business and get better at working to have those those different relationships which has been enormously helpful and then business comes out of that to some degree or that person refers you to someone that they know like it just kind of kind of snowballs but I have found on my end I need to be consistent with what I can control. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. so much sales conversation, is just like, well, you need to get 12 leads and you need to have 20 people in your pipeline. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that, but I know that I can like send four LinkedIn messages a week or I can email three people that are in this group to talk about this, or I can DM two people in a Slack channel that I'm in. So making it more about what I can control instead of, Oh, 10, you know, 10 leads or this, or like what my quote unquote pipeline is making it more about the effort that I'm putting in.
0: Totally. Well, and also what I'm hearing is it's, I mean, it's about real people and like real connection and not the numbers, which I think, uh, I mean, I have found that that approach to build is like that's how you build relationships right and I think it can feel you can feel when someone's like being transactional you can feel when someone's trying to like Mm -hmm. put numbers in their pipeline it's such a different feeling from like hey like you seem cool or like hey I think you may have some insight (laughs) on this thing can we talk
1: (laughs) the other thing that has been really helpful for me too is thinking about like how to best use people's time and kind of parlay speaking to someone into speaking to someone else because i think especially at this point in covid and just at this point other consultants are kind of up on this but being able to say to somebody like what would be helpful to you and having an answer like i used mm-hmm. to just say like oh just talking to you like that's great but now i can say like i'm looking to talk to somebody that works in this or like, I'm curious if you know anybody that is in this sector or this thing, like being intentional also with the conversations once you have that person. So doing that and then, you know, in three months or whatever that kind of cycle is of keeping up with people, I think I'm a little bit unique in that I just have like an elephant memory (laughs) so I will remember everything that somebody says so if I see something I will immediately be like oh I should send this to this person or oh I should send this to this person but I think having a system of how you're keeping up with people too is really really helpful
0: yes I couldn't agree more because like I feel like So often people like get on the phone for like a call and they'll be like, cool, I did it. I built a relationship and like, yes. (laughs) And it's like actually like literally just sending one follow-up email like months or even a year later to be like, hey, this made me think of you or hey, wanted to check in. Like that's the difference between a relationship and like, you know, a one-off conversation.
1: Yeah. And I think,
0: yeah, being able to give
1: somebody something to like I find it very fulfilling to be able to say like oh you should talk to this person or like oh yeah this you know have you looked at this company or this like I just think it keeps it keeps you on your toes in a different way and then naturally when somebody is like oh yeah this company needs B Corp I'm gonna send them to you or I don't know I think it just ends up it ends up kind of working out but it is definitely, I mean, business development and all that stuff is just a grind. Like, it's just a lot of, a lot of work. And I think anybody that says that like, oh, it's, you know, three steps and you're done. I would not believe that person <laughs> <laughs> that they're trying to sell you something. So that's my, totally. that's what I think about kind of be.
0: I love it. Well, and you brought up B Corp certification, which was something I wanted to come back to. So I guess, first of all, if there is anyone listening who's not familiar with B Corps, would you mind sharing like what B Corp certification is um, first? And then would love to hear your take on why companies should consider it or like which companies should consider it.
1: Yeah. B Corp is a certification offered by a third party called B Lab. And it certifies your business in different um, social governance and environmental practices. So it will look at your workers, it looks at customers, it looks at community activities, and you have to fill out an assessment. Usually it's about 120 questions, depending on what industry you're in. You have to score 80 points or above and for each section that you're highlighting and question that you're answering you have to show proof so if you're saying this is the percentage of our executive team that is made up of women you have to show proof of that so everything that you're doing you're showing proof and then you're submitting you meet with b lab they check everything if you have a score of 80 or above you can um, you go to the next level and then you talk about certification with them. The other key component of certification is that you have to change the le- the legal designation of your business. So if it's an LLC, if it's an S corp, you have to change it to a benefit corporation. And the reason that that this is done and the reason that B corp requires this is because then you are legally saying we will create this public benefit that we've stated for the world. So in a capitalist focused market, traditional kind of IPOs or public companies, those companies are legally required to make as much money for shareholders as possible. Whereas B Corp is designed to provide a public benefit. Um, And usually the way I like to explain it is you're a company is legally saying we will incorporate people planet and profit equally into our decision making thinking and any initiatives and outcomes. So it's a really I think a unique certification because it does do the legal the legal designation so companies like Patagonia, Allbirds, Warby Parker um I think there's about 4,000 B Corps now so it's really something that has been growing a lot. And I think it's really enticing to companies that are looking at all these different, you know, ESG and sustainability and what does this mean? And how can I be sure that any of this is real? Going through something like B Corp is a great way to show different stakeholders that you're doing things, but also just to set up a system for your business to -hmm. really integrate these different ESG metrics.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And when, how did you get into helping companies go through the process? I started because a client asked about
1: it. They said, We want to get B Corp certified. And in my great salesmanship way, I said, (laughs) Great, you should. (laughs) And they said, No, we want you to do this for us. And I was like, Oh, interesting. Um, And it kind of, yeah, snowballed from there. I think a lot of companies are interested in having. Just the accountability support, the project management support, having somebody that has gone through the process of kind of, what does this mean? What is this, you know, how does this work? Are we doing this right? What do they mean when they ask this question? Um, So it's been interesting. Now there's a shift I'm seeing from, and this I think is true of kind of ESG broadly too, from kind of consumer-based companies like for a Patagonia or for a company that's like selling a water bottle. It's great to be able to show the consumer like we're B Corp. Here's what it means. Here's why you should pick us over something else. And now I'm seeing companies using it like as a hiring tool. They're using Mm. it as a vendor management tool. Like it's just become such a different way of branding the company in different ways. So, and now there's statistics like people want to work at B Corps and people choose to work at B Corps over other companies. Like it's become a really big recruiting opportunity for companies. So it's just cool to see that shift. And especially because I think B Corp does a really good job of keeping employees engaged through the assessment. Like it's just designed to really be part of the whole culture of a business. So as people are looking for places that they want to work, to be able to say, like, I know that this means that this company is really dedicated to this.
0: Definitely. Well, do you have any, like, advice or thoughts on, like, what types of companies B Corp certification is most helpful for? Or, like, are you of the opinion that, like, almost every company ideally should be moving in this direction? <laughs> I think... I will say that the
1: assessment is free to do. So even if you don't want to get certified and you're in a place of like, what kind of metrics should we be tracking? What does sustainability mean? How can we be taking action on things that we want to be doing? I would encourage any company to use the assessment to do that and just set their own points goal. Like if they want to get to 60 points or 70 points using the, Um, impact assessment. The thing that I do say that I think it's just every company kind of has to decide for themselves, it is a lot of work. Like it is definitely a really significant undertaking to do the assessment and you have to pay to become certified. Like there's different facets to making it happen. So I think it's critical for a company to understand why they're doing it. Is it for employees? Mm-hmm. Is it for customers? Is it because the CEO just really cares about it? And all of those things are equally good and can be true. You know, I don't really care what the reason a company has for doing it, but I think they need to have a reason. And for me to be able to work with them, there's a lot of, we have a lot of those conversations of, you know, why are you doing this and what are you hoping to get out of it? And are you willing to put in this much? work and you recertify every three years and is your board okay with the legal change like some of those different types of things i i think it's really important for a company to kind of dig deep and figure out why they're why they're doing it and really have those kind of hard conversations but i think ultimately it's designed to work like i've seen it work for solo business owners and i've seen it work at you know thousands Of person organizations
0: very cool yeah I think that's also like helpful context too for people who are like well how would I even start and the assessment is free to do so if you're looking for ways Mm -hmm. to better understand how you can integrate people and planet as well as profit into your business that's a great starting point
1: yeah I would definitely recommend um, doing the assessment
0: I love it I'm curious, given where you sit, what some of the most interesting or exciting things that you're seeing happening in ESG and sustainability right now are. I'm really excited
1: by this employee change. Like, I think it's really critical and exciting for companies to understand just how engaged and interested their employees are in different sustainability measures and how they can use it to both retain employees and get new employees. Employees are choosing where to work based on different ESG. Like if you're a software mm-hmm. engineer, you can work wherever you want. And if you care about climate change, you're going to pick the company that cares about climate change. So, I think it's just been really exciting just to see the kind of demand for it from employees and employers listening to that and really seeing the value and seeing the results from implementing a strategy that is exciting to employees and making sure that employees feel like they're a part of it and like sharing different ESG data with employees so that's one thing that I've seen that I'm I'm excited about and I just think I mean just on kind of a personal side like it's really refreshing not to have to say like Climate change is real and (laughs) these are things that every company should be thinking about. Like it's just so nice not to have to convince people that this is a good idea. And yes, there are some people I think that are still a little bit on the fence. I'll leave it to better salespeople than me to try and convince them. But it's just refreshing to be at a place I think of just more like a common understanding and a common baseline and more and more people and companies every day are accepting and realizing the benefits of implementing ESG for different reasons.
0: Mm, it's yeah, it's such a different conversation in many cases now than it was ten years ago. like I feel like, yes. I've sat in so many rooms where people like the conversation was like, okay, like, what kind of slide did you put together to demonstrate the business case of doing this thing? Yes, and, and that totally still happens. But I think more and more often, the starting point, as you're saying is like, you come in, and it's like, okay, we know this is important. Now what, as opposed to convince mm-hmm. us again, why we should do this. Yeah, I think at this point, a
1: lot of the conversations I'm having the main questions are like, what should we start with? Or what should we do first? Like, we're Mm. already, okay, we know we need to do this. Sometimes it's a, can we do it in six months? Can we do it now? What the kind of big timeline looks like? But I think it's mostly now the conversation has shifted into like, what ESG topics are important to my business? Do I need a materiality assessment? Who, what function should this sit with do we need somebody full-time doing this like those conversations
0: um I could totally see what you're saying um as far as that goes and I have some like quick hit questions I would love to ask for us to uh leave on like kind of a fun wild <laughs> hopefully, yes. hopefully both introspective and future-oriented note let's like just jam it all in. Um, (laughs) Great, let's do it. What would be your like crystal ball, like what's your 2030, like I don't know if I want to say wildest dream, but is there something that you're like seeing like signals of now that like seems kind of crazy and out there today, but that you think might be totally normal in 2030? Oh, I mean, I think the getting the Inflation Reduction Act
1: past was a huge starting point and i think that will just kind of continue to get more and more no i don't know what i'm trying to say with like the ball rolling but it will that will that momentum i think will keep shifting um and that i don't know this is not my area of expertise but i'm just so hopeful that like their scientists That are smarter than me, that all these different carbon removal projects just start to become cheaper and cheaper. I think there's a lot of really cool science things that are happening that I just want to see move quicker and be fully in place by 2030. So that I think now a lot of the conversations of like net zero or this, like there still is a little bit unsure of how that will happen. And I think having some really cool technologies in place that people will say, great, we have the
0: technologies and now we just need to move to them. Yes. I hope, I very much hope that's the case or it's like, oh yeah, we've already implemented all the technologies Right. <laughs> that we had sitting on, sitting on the shelf, the metaphorical shelf in 2022.
1: Yes. That is my, that would be my big hope.
0: Um, Well, I always ask people on the podcast because it's the Women Changing the World podcast. Um, If you had to pick one thing about the world that you would like to change, what would your one thing be? Paid family leave. (laughs) Oh, yes, that's a great one.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's just asinine to me that we don't have it. I'm not even a parent, so I can only imagine that when I become a parent, this will like 10x but just like these simple things that would just unlock the way that people work in a new way and the way that people feel comfortable having kids and adopting kids and being caregivers. There's just so much opportunity to support people in different ways that will benefit the economy in so many ways that I think that's what that's, that's my dream. Mm.
0: And that seems kind of doable like it's not totally pie in the sky completely yeah so. I mean I will be I will be offended if we can't figure this out in our lifetime but I also know it's like not a small ask yeah <laughs> um, I love that answer though um Well, one thing I love asking people on the podcast, too, because I think so often, like, I'm sure there is someone listening right now who is, like, listening to you and thinking about the work that you're doing and is like, oh, my God, one day I would love to do something like that. And so I'm curious. This could be, like, totally for you or for whoever that random person out there listening is. But what advice do you wish you could give to your younger self?
1: I wish that I sort of figured out and learned and was more accountable to listening to myself first I think I kind of let other people's opinions are just like what would other people think if I could just not take into account everybody's opinion yes the people that I care about and the people that are important to me but I just feel like I have this like what will they think? And it was like I didn't even know who they 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 was, you know. But th- just having that kind of fear of like other people, either judging or thinking about you. And that I think the older I get, and now that I built the business to this place, like everybody is thinking about themselves. Nobody is thinking about you as much as you think they are. So just doing what you want and not letting other people's maybe opinions or maybe thoughts get in the way
0: (laughs) I love that so much I can't tell you I feel like in the past probably a few months ago I like all at once and then I had numerous conversations around this and also feel like I read it in a book that's now escaping me but this idea of like who is they like who is they that's made up in our head who cares that much about us or what we're doing Yeah. And some, I mean, and for
1: some people, there might be a real Mm they. Like, I think that is also like, if you ask that and there's an answer, then I think it's worth kind of investigating what that relationship is and what that interaction is. But in my experience, it's just been like the sort of idea of like the collective we, like Mm -hmm. the collective they, we don't, I don't know who they are. And the people that I care most about and that care most about me have been supportive and you know instead of oh
0: my god totally yeah and i imagine some members if you were to like assign them to the imaginary they would also be supportive (laughs) given a chance oh that's a good way to think about it too i hadn't
1: considered yeah i'm so cynical i didn't think about that but yes though they the they also is probably cheering you on
0: i mean it's just as likely that they'd be cheering you on as it is that they'd be criticizing you
1: Wow. See,
0: <laughs> this is why you're good at your job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> just examining all these like <laughs> less nice things that we, we say to ourselves and being like, huh, is that true? <laughs> right. No, what you said about like
1: this could equally, if it can be equally bad, it can be equally good. I think that's really, really important to think about. And just from a, I think just with, you know, business development, I and any business thing, like, I will go over and over and over just, like, everything in my head. Like, I love to just, like, spin out and think of all the possibilities. And attaching to this could go really, really bad, but there's equally a chance that it will go really well.
0: Yes. And I feel like that's such a, like, muscle <laughs> to, no. to expect the best case scenario. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you know how to build that muscle, please, please tell me
1: because... It is hard. Yeah. I think the brain defaults to just negative and we have to actively work to keep it even at neutral.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it depends, it like totally depends on like so many aspects of conditioning, but yeah, it's like, how can we, and there's, I mean, I found um, so many different things that can help with this, but like, how do we make it a part of our practice? And this is something that like, I am constantly working on. I definitely do not have it all figured out, but like, how can I make it a part of my practice? To Mm -hmm. truly believe that, like, the best case scenario is happening right now to remind myself that, like, it is just as likely that some, like, totally outside, unforeseen, awesome thing is headed to my inbox right at this very moment as that, like, something bad could happen. I think, yeah, as you said, like, it's probably a survival thing that we're so trained to, like, be aware of, like, the possible bad thing. But, like, being prepared for the possible good thing is so much more fun. (laughs)
1: I like that. I'm going to I'm going to think
0: about that. <laughs> well, I would love to ask. It's like my not at all secret dream that one day I'm going to get some inspirational post-its printed with um I like <laughs> Yeah, many of the women in my world me very much included have post-its on our like laptops, screens, desks. I have I'm looking at them in all three places right now of um like little phrases and sayings that just help us kind of like remind ourselves of the good stuff or of whatever feels important to remind ourselves of and so one day we'll pull them all together into something physical and i'm curious if you got to have your own eliza post-it what would you want what message or phrase would you want to put on it
1: Ooh, this is a great one i would put on this goes a little bit to what we're talking about um my post-it would say you are not the voice in your head. You are the one who hears it.
0: Mm. Have you read The Untethered Soul? <laughs> no. Is it from that? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's it's very much about that. Uh, it starts out about that. Ooh, okay. I need to put that on my uh, library list. I think I did actually, and they didn't have it in stock. So I just need to order it. Oh, I love it. Well, in this in this season's batch of podcast episodes, this is the second time the untethered soul has come up. So for you and anyone who's listening, it's I feel like it's a great book that found me at the perfect time. So maybe it's finding you down.
1: I'll order it. Yeah, that's a great that's a great suggestion.
0: Yeah, I just think it's so I don't know, I found that to be really helpful. Totally. Totally. I feel like it. Yeah. To just take a minute to be like, wait, is this me or is this just the voice talking to me? Right.
1: I call it the neighbor.
0: The neighbor. It's my
1: neighbor, like over the
0: fence bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's totally giving me like home improvement vibes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the noise
1: that you don't want to hear. That's like outside your house or your apartment or wherever.
0: Yeah, and sometimes you just need to like close the window. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the uninvited voice. Definitely. Um. Oh my gosh. Well, I I could talk to you for hours, and I also am very committed to trying to keep these podcast episodes digestible. Um. So I think we'll go ahead and wrap up there. But the last thing I wanted to ask is where can people find you, keep up with you, follow along with Green Buoy. I know you're like super active on LinkedIn, but where's the best spot?
1: I am super active on LinkedIn. If people love LinkedIn, you can also find me at my website, which is GreenBooeyConsulting.com.
0: Love it. And we'll be sure to include links to both of those in the show notes. I mean, I have to say, like, I so appreciate your LinkedIn presence. And I'm pretty sure that the way that we initially connected was that I just kept seeing you everywhere on LinkedIn. And I think I was the one who said we should know each other, but I could, am I wrong? Was, was it was No, you? you're
1: correct. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. I like that.
1: I mean, I think, yeah, from a business, you know, B2B consulting, like, It all it all happens on LinkedIn. It's not very it's not very cool. It's not very pretty, but there's a lot of great stuff on LinkedIn if you know where to look.
0: There totally is. And I will just like brag for you that like I feel like you are someone who is like really doing a great job of cultivating like like offering value and cultivating an authentic presence on LinkedIn that doesn't feel salesy and that genuinely can help people who are at different stages in their ESG journeys. So um, yeah, for anyone listening who wants to see both how showing up on LinkedIn can be done really well, um, and then also like learn stuff about ESG early in your in your organization's journey, ESG for service-based businesses or B Corp certification, Eliza is a great person to follow. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that.
1: It's definitely something I've been working on. So it's validating to have you say that. Thank you.
0: Oh my gosh, of course. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been such a treat. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram, my handle is liz.best, that's L-I-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch, and I'll see you in the next episode.